uh, it's really like building tech is one thing, building a, a viable business, it's a whole different thing. Sun Nusden is a tech entrepreneur, vlogger in the making and founder of Lickstats, an analytics platform of the future. Recently, Sun has started to invest a significant part of his time advocating for internet privacy. His new passion is reflected in the roadmap of Lickstats, which is set to become one of the very few analytics platforms that embraces privacy by design. Sun became an entrepreneur thanks to his passion for problem solving. In this talk, he discusses users' data and how they are used by big companies and gives us practical tips about regaining power over our data as customers. I, I, I started as a technology consultant when I was young. Um, actually built my first computer out of scraps that were laying on the ground of the loft of a hacker friend of mine. Typical, you know, startup <laughs> story. Yeah. And um, I, I then got fascinated by servers and, and ended up learning how to code. Um, and I, actually the story was like, I, I had a really bad cold and I'm kind of like hyperactive. So I was like, fuck, what am I gonna do, you know? Yeah. And I, I took out my computer and I was like, man, like I knew how to do HTML websites, but I had never done a dynamic website. That, those were the days of like PHP, my, uh, PHP BB, like the forum and like- The old stuff. Yeah, yeah, PHP was cool. Um, don't do PHP. <laughs> <laughs> um, so We're doing Ruby. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's definitely way better than PHP. Uh, so I, I ended up learning how to like, connect a database to a PHP website, essentially. Um, not knowing anything about SQL injection hacks. <laughs> so, I mean, I was essentially coding a pile of like junk, but it was super empowering, right? Like being able to build a, a website that is dynamically driven by user input. I mean, that was really fascinating. Um, and this was before university, this is before the- Yeah, yeah, that was like, yeah, super young son. I yeah. mean. Uh, uh, and, and actually at the time, like I was, I, I always liked the idea of community. So like what you, you guys are doing here is really cool. Like, uh, I, I started a project back then. Like I wanted to build a community of like people, like, you know, filmmakers, you know, developers, anyone essentially that wanted mm -hmm. to get to do together and do projects. And I reverse engineer how PHP BB worked. And then I kind of like hacked the forum into becoming like a website for talent. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I said I would get distracted, you know, so like, <laughs> bring, bring, bring me back on the line. Um, yeah, so anyway, so all this fast forward like a gazillion years and, and <clears throat> eventually when you learn how to code and, and, and you learn how to build stuff uh, and you start understanding technology and how the internet works, uh, you, you get to see this whole internet thing differently and it's super empowering. You know, you get to be able to just act on those itches you have and build stuff. Yeah. And, and that's how, you know, I got myself into C2 Montreal. That's how I got myself into interim CTO or like building Lickstance, essentially. So the degree was just a detour. You were interested. You already had the skills to do what you wanted to do. Maybe you were yeah. to try something different. I mean, I think there are every way of learning is good. Uh, learning is what you want to be doing. Um, I think I, I, I'm a good self-learner. Uh, and and the internet today is like a gazillion times better than it was in like the early 2000s to learn. Yeah. Uh, and also these kind of things didn't exist now in those days. Infrastructure. Yeah. All that. It's it's amazing, you know. So like I would say if if what you need is a problem, like if there's a problem to solve, and and, and you're like passionate about solving it, then it's just about putting the time and, and like you can learn it. 
So I, I studied photography because I liked fine arts and stuff, and I still like fine arts and stuff, but computer stuff is, is awesome too, so. Yeah, so the passion of learning has really driven you. Yeah, problems, problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay, well, thank you. Um, in terms of going through the different roles that you have, director of technology, CTO, I believe, was it for a startup in Munich? And now Frankfurt, Frankfurt, <laughs> yeah. um, very clo close. Yeah, yeah that, Germany that qualifies. Germany. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now kind of the founder of your own uh, startup. And I believe you've done a couple of those as well. Yeah. W was it, you know, how did you approach going from one role to the other? Was it was it that problem solving challenge that you were talking about or or um, were you just looking to push yourself? How was that difficult for you to, to go through all of those roles? I'm trying to figure out how to approach this because it's it's an interesting question. Um, I I mean I think everyone has a different path, right? Um, and and everyone's driven by different things. I I love solving problems, and um, I mean, okay, I'll do a little detour. Like my my first, how I got into startup land, right? Was like 2006, and I was I had learned how to do the PHP stuff. Yeah. So I thought, but I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Um, and I, my neighbor, yeah, like it's always a question of like proximity, you know, like my, my neighbor in the backyard was Restaurant Toki at the time. And, and, and Toki was like this super cool restaurant in Montreal and, and it had moved to old Montreal and the new restaurant was Kokang and Kokang was a super cool high end restaurant. And, but they, they were kind of small to afford open table. Mm -hmm. you, who knows open table? Like most so, of the some crowd. Of you, yeah. So, so this was like early days of, of kind of like the, the internet hype stuff. And I, I said to myself, like, man, I can code open table. <laughs> I was like, I can do this. So I, I took those skills that I had learned doing the dynamic website stuff to build what, what became Bookin. And, and Bookin was like my first startup. So I built this restaurant reservation system that ran in a bunch of restaurants in Montreal. And, and that's how I, I started building tech. And, and as I got better at building tech, uh, it, it's really like building tech is one thing. Building a, a viable business is like it's a, a different thing. It's a whole different thing. So not to get into this part yet. So I, I got good at building tech. I, I wasn't necessarily good at building a, vi a business. Mm -hmm. Like Bookin had some success, but n like ran into all kinds of problems, which we could discuss. But once I had the skill, people w were willing to pay me for the skill. So I started doing consulting work. And I know you guys are, you know, learning how to code. And there's like, there's like a gazillion opportunities where people who know how to code can, can use that skill to build awesome, awesome stuff. And that got me like into C2 Montreal. It got me into the German company. You mentioned Frankfurt. I mean, a scenario that I see often, uh, that, that's a great opportunity for anyone who's, who's good with code is, and that's sad, but CTOs burn out. Early stage CTOs burn out a lot. So they, there's a lot of startups with a CEO that's still standing and their technical co-founder like is on the floor. Because the pressure's on them at the very beginning but, to build uh, the product. Yeah, a problem that's always there is like people oversell, not understanding the technology. So I know some of you, I had a few conversations before. Um, it's, it's awesome, even if you guys are not gonna be coding in your company, to understand these dynamics will really help you make the right decisions and not burn out your technical co-founders because like they're falling on the ground all the time. So that's how I got into the German company. 
Anyways, that was like quite a sneaky answer. But <laughs> yeah, and then you did a couple of other startups, I believe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, then... like you, you make a bunch of mistakes. The, the important thing is to persevere. Like the, the chances of having a win in the first one are very low. low yeah. And I'm not, by win, I don't mean like a Silicon Valley unicorn win. I just mean like anything substantial that's gets to a point where it's kind of growing on its own. Sustainable. And, and, yeah, yeah, and that's where Lickstats is right now. Yeah. So I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about Lickstacks at this point. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that got started and, and a brief overview of what it is? for? for yeah, for sure. So I, I was building this like N startup in my journey. <laughs> it, was, it was like a voice over IP app for entrepreneurs who want to have like a virtual phone line in their smartphone. So I was building this thing and then I was at the stage where I needed to market it. And I was also doing freelance stuff for a fashion company. And I knew you had to use analytics somewhere and I didn't know much about it at that point in time. And people were using Bitly. Who knows Bitly? Okay, that's cool. So people were using Bitly to shorten links that included a bunch of tags, which allowed them to know where someone was originating from. Um, so I was like, shit, I need to, like, I wanted Bitly brand tools cause I wanted my own domain, but that was super expensive. Yeah. And at the same time, managing UTM tags meant having a spreadsheet with a bunch of tags and it was like super cumbersome. And with the technical skills I had gathered over the years, I was like, huh, you know, like if, if Bitly knows it's coming from Facebook, why on earth aren't they setting UTM source Facebook? Like that to me was like. I really didn't get it. So what I set out to do is like, I want to have my own branded Bitly that's free because I can build it. And I want it to generate UTM tags on its own. And, and that was like a super simple idea, right? Like, okay, something for you guys out there, like the stupidest idea to you somehow can mean the world to other people's, like other people. Sometimes it's weird like that. So, so I... I know one of the, I read your questions before, so like I'm sneaking into one of them, but one of the questions was like, so how do you get your early adopters, which yeah. is like the biggest challenge your first for customers? Because you have L'Oreal, you have Michelin <clears throat> Tires, you have some big wins there. Yeah, yeah, where, for sure. Where did it start? So, so, um, so, so I, I solved this problem. I was like, I want a really affordable alternative to Bitly Brand Tools that does UTM on its own. And, and, and that got the people from Creative Morning which is another you know, community in Montreal, mm -hmm. uh, really excited by it. It got also uh, Elias from uh, Montreal New Tech and Desjardins Lab excited about it. And he was like a super like bitly power user. So I started onboarding those people and it, it was really sticky. You know, like people were like, oh shit, like I want in, you know, and, and I, I gave demos to like different people and I gave trials and so yeah, fast forward a few years and like there's, uh, I don't know how to say this in English, but like the commission scolaire, like school boards, the school boards, yeah. there's like school boards, there's like government agencies, there's like Montreal's police yeah. <laughs> on licks that. So I'm like, whoa, <laughs> well, you crazy. validated those with the early heavy users before you got to, to the bigger guys. Yeah. You want to make sure it's sticky. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a million ideas you guys can work on, right? Like choosing the right one or right ones is, is the game. Because and making sure it's sticky. Yeah. The, the only reason why Lickstats is still alive today is because it's sticky. Like even at times where I was lying on the ground, Lickstats was still growing. I did C2 Montreal for a year and a half. And that's like 
for a, a year of this, I was running the whole technology for C2 Montreal and C2 International. So I had like, like very little bandwidth for anything else than <laughs> like staying alive, essentially. And Lickstats was growing. Like it never died. I was like, die, die. Like, <laughs> this, yeah. Well, that's why CTOs burn out, clearly. Y yeah. Like too many projects on, yeah. Okay. Well, too many projects are in, even like when you're running a startup, cash flow can really like mess you up. Yeah. So, so anyways, yeah. Absolutely. What would you say the biggest lesson was from all of your previous endeavors that went into Lickstats and, and potentially made it successful? Yeah. To be honest, like I think I made a million mistakes in Lickstats. Um, the but, learning never ends, really, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and and I think Lickstats was like the most substantial product or you know startup I I had the chance to run. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, there's so many mistakes. Mistake number one. I mean, at least the one that hurt Bookin the most. I had a tech. I wasn't the technical co-founder actually. Like at at that point in time, and and a guy came on board and, and taught me so much. Like I, I owe so much of my technical skills to this guy. Uh, if you guys do SQL, I'm, I'm sure, I think today was SQL. We're doing it right now, actually. That's Perfect pretty timing. Uh, how convenient is we it? We did not pay him to say that. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this is like, so I didn't know what an index was. Did you guys do indexes today? Yes. Okay. So I had no clue what an index was. I came from Microsoft Excel in my head. So I was like, there's a column. And, and you give it a title and it's like date time. Like <laughs> I didn't know what an index was, but the thing is Bookin handled half a million reservations. So the way it, I, I coded it back then and everyone's allowed to laugh right now, okay? I had coded it <clears throat> in a way where I had no indexes because I didn't know what they were. <laughs> this is very funny. And I had to take the, the real database and extract every two weeks the data out of it so that I could query it fast enough because I had no indexes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's super funny. So anyways, but this, this technical co-founder, I remember, like I'll remember to, all my life. He says, son, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at your source code. Like, do you, do you, do you know, and, and the servers and stuff, do you know what an index is? And I was like, huh? <laughs> you didn't try to fake it? <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I don't know what an index is. <laughs> He's like, do you know what's the difference between integer and date time? I was like, that's the column title. <laughs> that was so funny. I'm I, sorry. I'm almost crying. It's so funny when I think about it. So, but the thing is, this guy he taught you a lot. Th this guy taught me a lot, which was great. But he didn't have a good risk tolerance, and he had a big burn. We would call in startup land. So, like, he he was cash flowing his wife through school, and his what I called a zero, like his minimum amount of earnings to be able to like breathe was 70,000. So the number one lesson I learned, and, and I know I'm, I'm starting a new company here with Thibault. I don't know if Thibault is in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the first questions we asked when we were dating initially to start this new company was like, what's your zero? You know, <laughs> like how much runway do you have? And, and so that was the lesson. Like you need to build companies with people that have a, a similar risk tolerance and who are able to build a company financially because that means taking like the hugest pay cut you can imagine. I'm sure you guys, like if, if this is a, is this full-time the program? Yes. For yeah. nine weeks. So you're already tasting the feeling of this kind of commitment, right? Like you're, I, I see some of you like obviously had jobs, like you're not out of school or something. So like it, the feeling of taking that pay cut really hurts and not everyone's able to take it. So that's the first 
really major mistake I made because this guy, like I had investors willing to put money in the company and he like he, he couldn't handle it. And if it wasn't for this, I think we had a fair chance of having been acquired by OpenTable. Like we had corporate espionage calls and stuff like this at that really? point in time. That must have been crazy times. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I, so if I could summarize that, I, I, I would say that the, the most important parts were align your values with the people that you're working with, especially the first, the, the co-founder groups, and also have a complementary skill set um, to, to make sure that the, the business has everything it needs to, to move forward. Yeah, for sure. I, I would, I would, uh, values is one thing, like risk tolerance is kind of another, Yeah. but you're right. Like I should have mentioned values first, values first, and then like financial situation and risk tolerance. And, and, and at the same time, like if you're, uh, if you complement each other. Yeah, for sure. I guess on that, on the, um, on the, the subject of complementing each other, what would you say? Because I think many people here are coming from the non-technical world. What would you say that technical founders are most looking for in non-technical co-founders? Um, <clears throat> okay, so, so the question is, uh, if you're a technical co-founder, what are, what, what, what are you looking for in a exactly. non-technical? Exactly. I think yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of people see the other side yeah, of that. Yeah. They need the ability to build the product. They need yeah. the ability to code. But I would say on, on the flip side of that, what, other than sales perhaps, what, yeah. what would be the main, the main it's, skills? It's a great question. I, 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 I think it's, it's humbling to assess one's strengths and it's, it's very difficult to do it. You know? But if you go through in this introspective, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, like the process, yep. um, you have to know what you're good at and what you're not. So what, what you're looking for in someone else is what you're not. If you're a coder and you're good at doing code and architecture and stuff, like if you're the nerd, um, most humans don't relate well with nerds. So you need a non-nerd that understands nerds and, and <laughs> loves them. So you need someone that's going to be out there interfacing with the world and at the same time someone who really values what you're doing. And then you're going to have this strong bond with that person. The relationship guy who can sell the idea yeah. that perhaps a more technical individual is, is, is building <clears throat> but can't explain as well as, yeah, as others. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, there, there's one concept and, and I'll just, like, who's, who's aware of the concept of like opportunity cost when you're switching hats? Yeah, so a few hands. Um, so the, the idea is you can't be everything at the same time. Even if you're the smartest person in the world, you can't be everything at the same time. And there is a pretty high cost to switching hats. So I think, like, for instance, I can be talking to you now, but full disclosure, like, I haven't been coding all day. Or else I would have been like, blah, 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 you know? Ones and zeros all over the place. Well, yeah. So, so like, if you're going to be growing a startup and you want things to go fast or, or, or be optimized, you need to have someone that's doing this kind of stuff while you're coding or someone who can switch hats with you and you're switching hats once a week, you mm -hmm. know, because each time you switch hats can probably cost you half a day, you know, to be efficient at switching. So, yeah. So you're looking for what you're not. 
but yet someone that that will love you and you'll love them. It's really like a relationship in some ways. It's pretty hard to find, though, isn't it? It, it is. And when you find that, like, you hold on to it. But at the same time, if I, if I can share one piece of advice, I mean, I'm, I've had a hard time, like, falling in love, entrepreneurially speaking. Um, like falling in love in the real world, like the normal world, um, you have to give yourself time. Falling in love takes time. It's a process. And when you're building your startup, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to code, man. Like, Because that's what you're good at. You're not going to invest this energy in falling in love. And, and that's what you should be doing, probably. Because like, it's very hard to do a one-person startup so, at, at a huge scale. So on that, would you, you know, for someone who has the equal choice between the two, I, I'm sure, you, or, or would you recommend doing it with, with a couple of other co-founders instead of going the the uh, the soul path um it depends what you're building but uh i would default to yes i i mean a couple i'm not sure um <clears throat> the more people you add around the table the harder it is to have a good fit amongst everyone um so i would i would choose wisely um but i would definitely have a co-founder like the biggest mistake i i made in Lickstats, because and that maybe not everyone knows that but i mean you know because i told you before but like I'm, I'm running the whole thing right now. So it's like, it's a sole founder thing. And, and it, it grew to an extent that is far beyond what I could imagine, but with the right team right now, we could be like messing with bit.ly and bit.ly's worth at least 150 million bucks. Like stats is not merely that successful. One day, hopefully. Per perhaps, chances are it will never be because A, there are no co-founders, and B, we're starting another company. So, so, so Lickstats is kind of like the, the short link world is, is a commodity market. So there's not a lot of room to grow at this point in time. It doesn't invalidate what it is. Like it, nothing is, like Lickstats isn't going away, but it's essentially running itself. Like there's a limit to how much features you can add to a short link, right? Definitely. It's a great short link. And people are loving it, but I'm not going to add a bell and a whistle, like just because, <clears throat> just because, like we're trying to grow the market. Like it, I, it's acquiring market shares by itself right now. Like there, there's signups without us marketing it, which is a great or, sign. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so I guess apart, we spoke a little bit earlier, as you mentioned, apart from the lick stats, you, you're also a big advocate of internet privacy. Do you want to discuss that a little bit and share, <clears throat> share your views with us? Yeah, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I'll try to keep this short. Um, and if ever some of you are interested by privacy, we can have like rabbit hole conversations later. Um, <clears throat> we had a few before this. <laughs> yeah. um, the the internet is messed up, right? Uh, and us developers have the opportunity to fix it. That's the beauty of the internet. So um, lately, I got really obsessed by trying to contribute some mental bandwidth to fixing it. And one extremely powerful way entrepreneurs have to fix it is to build products that are ethically smart you know like <clears throat> if you want to build an analytics company and be super rich and raise venture capital it's all about invading people's privacy 
it's the only path to the kind of Silicon Valley success, but it's wrong. What Google is doing, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Google. Like what Google is doing is incredible, but their business model depends on profiling everyone in this room and your family and everybody you love and using that against you to sell you shit. That's the most disgusting business model I have ever seen and is destroying humanity. Okay, I'm sorry to be a little obsessed. Like, whew, I have shivers. No, passion's good. I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> one way of finding back this stuff is by deciding not to take the money, right? And making things right. There was a feature in Lickstats that I built that could identify people and take their identity, put it in Google Analytics, and allow companies to retarget them. That turned on business owners. Like, that was a path to making this company way more valuable. And at some point, I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, am I going to be another of those, imagine the curse word, that is screwing humans to get rich, right? And, and it disgusts me, right? So as a developer, we have the opportunity to change things. And I feel a great responsibility to contribute as my new Bitcoin friends say, my two Satoshis, <laughs> to making the world a better place. And, and for Lickstats, what this means is <clears throat> we completely removed Google Analytics, Google Tag Manager, Facebook Pixel, Inspectlet. We were like analyzing people's sessions to optimize user experience. Uh, we moved domains to Europe using Gandhi. We like... I mean, I could go like we just published today. If if you want to have a good idea of a framework to get better at this, like we just published new privacy uh, a new privacy policy on the website that explains everything we're doing and everything we're about to do to make it right. So, anyways, long story short, um, developers have the power to change things, and that's the beauty of the internet. And and I think we should be doing this, even if it means earning less money. I think if we have uh, at lower time preference, in the future, things will reorganize and the people who are doing things right will be the rich ones. But what does that business model look like to you? Uh, is, it a, is it more subscription-based if it's not ad-based? Right? Like <clears throat> Snap, for example, did try to bring the, the whole privacy issue to the forefront. They, I think they eventually ran into a lot of difficulties uh, monetizing that platform. Yeah. How it, in terms of how it was. I was just wondering, is, was there a specific business model that you think is going to be the future for, for a lot of these offerings? Or is it really... I don't know Snap. Okay. What, what is Snap? What does it do? Uh, so Snapchat? So oh, Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you see how I'm not, just... <laughs> I'm not a social media person. Um, uh, I, I was going to say a bad word. I'll, I'll, I won't say a bad word. <laughs> but all of these people, like curse word them like they're not doing the right thing they're they're using psychologists to fuck with humans using dopamine they're building addictive technologies using fear of missing out they're they're portraying the world as this beautiful place where everybody's happy that's super wrong so i said the bad word just replayed in your minds them like it's not the right thing to do so i don't care about how they monetize like they're they're wrong it's, it's okay to build, like humans need to socialize. That's what we're doing right now. And 
it's it's the internet allows us to do this remotely which is very powerful i mean we're starting a new company in the bitcoin space with Thibault there and, and a friend in new york and we're doing it remotely you know and and it, the internet's empowering us to do that and we need to satisfy this need for affiliation and we're doing it using the thing of the moment for us is zoom because they have like a end-to-end encryption technology so like it, it's private so we we do it using like facetime video messaging so that's cool but building a social network that has for key kpi monetizing through ads or data mining is fundamentally wrong so like my opinion is that shouldn't exist uh, and how do you monetize you'll say by generating real value for people like that the reason why like part of the that they're willing to pay for explicitly, yeah. not with their information um, in, in, in a way that they might not realize, perhaps. I mean, there's a million, like, I'll give you one example, the example of, like, last week. I bought an app on the Apple Store. Uh, what is it called? It's called, I think it's called IA Writer. Is that it? it it's, like, this beautiful, like, uh, writing app that uses Markdown for you guys developers and, and girls developers, like, it uses Markdown, and it's I love it. Like I'm in love with it, and it's forty bucks. People would look at me, and they they'll be like, "You're insane, man! Forty yeah. bucks? Are you crazy? <laughs> like, pay for this stuff, right?" There's developers that are passionate about typography. They're passionate about user experience. They're making this beautiful app, and and if you like writing, it's gonna make your life pleasurable each time you write in it. You know, and. So they're giving me value in exchange. I'm giving them money. Like another example is, and I recommend this to anyone who's on Mac. Um, now, because I'm saying this, I have a blonde memoir, sacré bleu. Um, little snitch. So for, 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 for uh, I guess there's nerds in the room. There should be. Like uh, your, your computer is sending a disgusting amount of information on the internet without you even knowing. Like we always talk about inbound firewalls. So, like, you have a firewall. Yeah. So, like, hackers can't get into your computer. But you know what? Facebook is a hacker, and it's already in your computer. Like, it's, it's essentially, like, geolocating you. It's sending everything it can about you to their servers to profile you. So, Little Snitch is this app developed in Europe that is kind of like an application layer firewall. And it lets you see on a map where all your data is going and decide what you allow. And... and People are used to like Google Analytics. Like who knows Google Analytics here? Great. So the idea with Google Analytics is you can block it in Firefox using like a, an ad blocker or, you know, stuff like this. But trust me, you have no idea the amount of equivalents to Google Analytics that are running in your computers, sending stuff. And, and nobody talks about that. So Little Snitch, they build this like beautiful app that allows you to see this and decide which part of an app you're willing to allow to the internet. And it's, it's from an operational security perspective, it's like you, everybody should have this. So to answer your question- by, It was something that you paid for. Absolutely. Transactionally. Yeah. yeah. So like building something people love that isn't messing with their psychology to make you rich and something that delivers value on a daily basis to users and people will pay for it. You might not be worth a billion dollars, but- Honestly, a billion dollar company should probably not exist. And if it does, true good values and ethical practices, well, that's awesome. And, and I truly believe that there will be billion dollar unicorn startups that are doing things right. But 
perhaps not in the next 10 or 20 years. Long term, basically. Yeah. Well. And, and, and a perspective on Bitcoin and, and the whole world of like, is that if money cannot be printed and if banks cannot just loan everyone's money, there will be no Ubers. You won't be able to artificially pay for this junk using everyone's money. Like, no one's going to be willing to put Bitcoin on Uber. Come on. Like, people are investing fake money through the money supply chain to Uber. So I think this will help. And that's, what, that's why we're getting involved into Bitcoin, philosophically anyways. Well, so you've mentioned the new company a, a couple of times. I don't know before we go into questions how, how much you want to – do you want to talk about that a little bit right now or – well, I mean, uh, I, I'll keep it at a very high level because we're, we're honestly getting started and, and things are like aligning. But um, the the cloud, like the cloud. Okay, so I'll, I'll just do this last story. I promise, no more stories. So it went from shitty hard drives when computers started existing. Like you had four megabytes of hard drive space, and that was like two thousand bucks, man. And so it went from this to becoming huge hard drives, right? Like normal spinning hard drives, like six terabytes, right? To the MacBook Air, which had 128 gigabytes. To Apple saying, well, you don't need gigabytes because the internet's fast enough and now you have the cloud. And, and so everything shifted to the cloud. And conceptually speaking, that's very wrong because we're putting all of our data, like our family pictures, our passwords, our everything into the hands of a few players. And if those players decide that the rules have changed and they have, if like <laughs> nation state governments, stuff like this, like all your stuff in the cloud is essentially handed over to governments you know, uh, they have backdoors to this data. So, so, so we're, we're thinking about how can we rethink how data can be stored on the internet in a secure and private fashion. And that is, in our opinion, the one thing that's preventing Bitcoin from getting mass adoption. Like, how can my mother go and like walk in Starbucks and buy a coffee, like, right, without compromising her private key? You need to sign a request, you know, and that can be compromised. So, so that's, that's the space that we're in. And, and we think that by solving this, we're going to solve one of the hardest challenges in, in the internet is like, how can we go from the cloud back to devices? Because now many people's smartphones have 64 gigabytes, 128 gigabytes in them. Like the trend is going upwards and SSD prices are really going downwards. So same curse word as before the cloud right it's time to reclaim our data and store it on our devices you know and and that's that's what we're excited by hey you mentioned personal finance and risk do you take a monthly salary as a startup founder and what do you tell your investor uh, okay so is the question like as a startup founder like do you take a salary and you mentioned in the context of having raised some level of capital right yeah, and what, what should you tell your investor if you take a too high salary or too low? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I think each person has a different tolerance to risk and each person has different financial obligations. Um, I think you should take the salary that 
fits your entrepreneurial profile and your your needs. If if you take a too small salary, even though it may sound good for the investor, you're gonna have a very high level of stress and your performance may go down depending on your tolerance to stress and, and risk. <clears throat> um, I think early stage startups should always take as little salary as possible um, because or else you're diluting yourself a lot. And, and if you think your idea is worth, you know, a million in a year and 10 millions, you know, in two years and a hundred millions in five years, well, how much is 10% worth of, you know, 10 or a hundred million? So do you really want to pay those percentages to you in salary? Cause you're taking early stage investment. So like it, it's multidimensional, like you should take as little as you can while feeling comfortable to not get distracted by the stress too much. Hey, I have actually two questions. First question is like talking about investors. What should be like the first step when we are searching for investors per your opinion? Like, what should we do? Like, who, you know, where to go? Like, what to do, basically? That's the first question while searching investors because, you know, we can, we might have idea, but we don't know, like, you know, where to get money for it, basically. And the second question is the coolest startup. When you saw someone doing something and you were telling yourself, oh my God, this is such a stupid idea or something and I would never thought about it. Like, what's the coolest startup you've seen in your, in your life, let's say? So two questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that second Sorry, one's, second one's going to take some time to think about. Um, <clears throat> so uh, number one question was, okay, so, so there's, I'll ask you a question before I can answer your question. Like, did, did you validate some level of product market fit and then you're seeing investors or yeah. are you figuring things out at that stage? Yeah, exactly. Like imagine that, for example, someone, someone has a has a marketing plan has like a business plan has everything and needs to present it to someone so basically what should be the next steps okay and it's a technology company might be uh, okay. not like in general like uh, yeah it depends then it depends what it is as a company and then you would go to a specific uh, channel like i have basically no clue okay <laughs> um Okay, and and then uh, <laughs> it is a tech, it is a tech company. Okay, okay, and, and I'll ask for Tsibo's advice also after because he worked at Real Ventures, so he could have good feedback. So I'll pass him the mic um, if he's comfortable with that. But I, I, I always said yes. Okay, so I would start by saying um, before seeing investors, I would recommend to make sure you have some level of product market fit and some level of market validation. So. Pitching investors with an idea and, and like a pitch deck that in, and, and kind of like a go-to-market strategy, but no proof um, can work, but it's, it's much harder. And, and, and it will usually yield a bad valuation unless you have a proven track record and someone's taking a bet on you. So I would start by finding a way of building an MVP, seeing if it's sticky, to some level, and as soon as you have some level of growth, then I would start considering VCs. And and Sibo might have things to say on that too. But and I'll 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 let him answer the second question of where you go because yeah, he knows better than I do. Thank you. Pre pressure is on. Uh, what was the second part of the question? Can you can you rephrase it? 
Oh, there were two questions. There was no second part of the question. So what was the, the second question? Oh, that was the coolest startup, guys. Like in your career, like you saw something and you were like, yeah, this is... Should I take this one or is this one for you, man? Uh, you'll take it. But I, I guess for, for like investing, um, you know, it, it's really about de-risking the opportunity for investors and really making a compelling uh, narrative on your on on the project right like let's say you don't have customers you don't have a product you, you just have um, an idea or, or a vision of the world um, what truly matters here is two things the first thing is you need to make the this narrative and that vision of the world compelling to your investors so really making a case for um, making them care basically making that thing that insight that you have um, sort of tr truly make them believe that it's possible, right? And so that's the second phase. The second phase is once you've established that it's compelling, that it, that it is an insight that you have that not everybody has, um, I would say adding credibility to that with your team, with understanding your timing to market, uh, and understanding basically what is the potential execution path towards achieving that vision, is is really fundamental and like sun said you know if you don't have a product you don't have traction you're going to pay a lot of equity to get to de-risk the deal for your investors right another thing i'd say is vcs um in the really early days they don't necessarily have sufficient bandwidth to allocate to your business and because you're so deep and you have so many um, sort of uh, untested assumptions and hypotheses that you need to go and, and verify for yourself. Uh, you'd rather do it with operators that are just focused on, on doing it. VCs will tend to give you valuable advice for focused on growth, not figuring it out, basically. So I would say like the, the figure your shit out type of money should come from operators. Or, or like angel investors, like people who are really like into the, the weeds of building the business instead of like VCs who sort of like invest across the board, basically. Uh, so you're talking about like Google, for example? Yeah. Okay. Um, so they make all their money selling our data, basically, correct? Yeah. Okay. And, um, but we're at the point kind of right now where, say, social mobility is really difficult if you don't have access to internet and all that. Yeah. So without putting a paywall up, how do you maintain access for people regardless of their social status without, like, without compromising that, I suppose? Okay. Uh, my understanding of the question is, um, so Google is doing amazing stuff uh, that is essential to our daily lives. Um, I, and I, I know they're doing bad. Like, I no, agree, I, 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 but I they're doing a lot of good stuff. Part, that's yeah, that's yeah. my love-hate relationship. I love Google Maps, right? The, the idea that a GPS in your phone sends data about how, how fast you're driving and is there traffic are you are you stopped you know stuff like this is this is the future like we're not gonna go backwards um and, and you mentioned mobility i i'm not familiar with you know every every use cases of these technologies but and you mentioned without adding a paywall um that's the part where we're just keeping it kind of universally accessible yeah I okay. I, I'm gonna attempt an answer, and I don't feel comfortable because I, 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 I guess I'm I'm privileged to not be in those situations. So I, 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 I honestly I'm. But what I could say is, most people, like even people who are underprivileged, 
usually have a smartphone, right? Because that's what they use for this, which means they usually have a data plan. Yeah. So if every human was to give Google $5 a month, they would strive like $5 a month. And we're giving Fido for their data plan probably 40 or 50, if not 80, because they can't pay upfront for their phone. So they're probably paying like $70, $80 a month. So I would say that I think the only answer to this is by paying for what we're using. And, and the, the fair price for Google, like, what is it? Like $5, $10 a month? Like, would it be like a Netflix like account? Probably it wouldn't cost much more. So I, I think we have to start paying for things. And my, my, like the way I'm dealing with this is like, I, I like YouTube. I, I think the community on YouTube is, is great. Um, and the algorithms are great at profiling me and giving me content that I like. Um, th that I, I'm ambivalent because I know they're spying on me, but it, it's cool. But I'm, I'm paying. Like, I'm, I'm paying for YouTube Premium. Like, I could take it for free, but I'm trying to pay for as many things as I can mm -hmm. because that's the only way those companies are going to say, like, hey, we don't need to spy on everyone anymore because people are willing to pay for it. It's it, somehow humans decided that internet had to be free when it's not. I mean, internet, like the stuff we use on it, like people are willing to pay for their ISP, their internet service provider, but somehow they're not willing to pay for Google or Facebook or Instagram. I think there are, I think they're necessary, meaning not them, but like what they're doing. I think social media is I, I wouldn't know Cebo if it wasn't for Facebook, even though we're in the same city and he had a Lickstat sticker on his computer. Like, I, I, we hadn't met. We met because I posted on Facebook, like, hey, I want to learn stuff about Bitcoin. And then we went for a coffee. Like, so perhaps that changed our lives forever. So I, I think social networks are, are, are very powerful tools, but they shouldn't be approached from a perspective where, where it's about monetizing humans. Right, it's about connecting humans, and, and that's that's noble, and it's not expensive. The economies of scale when you're operating a Facebook, like probably for five bucks a month, man, unlimited Facebook, just just five bucks. And then for people who are really underprivileged that can't afford five bucks, well, government subsidies, the same as any other essential thing in life, or, or teaching these people, like connecting those people is really empowering. Giving them access to the internet so they can learn is really empowering. So I would essentially do it through, you know, government subsidies. Uh, what's your take on voice uh, and privacy in the air of voice, Alexa, Google Home? Is there a way to make it privacy friendly or yeah. is it fucked up since the beginning? <laughs> rabbit holes, rabbit holes. Okay, everyone in this room, if you care about privacy, do not ever, 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 ever use any of these tools. AI at that level is the devil, okay? Um, it, it, news broke out lately that um, Amazon's home assistant thing, employees were going through and, and were listening to the recordings and were translating them to humans, human stuff. That's how you train an, an artificial intelligence. Like, by the way, most people think of AI as this, like it's hard to imagine, right? But I mean, you're essentially, you're developing models that can recreate human something. It's not clear what it is yet. You know, at, at best, some level of intelligence, but it's 
it's, it's not that far yet. So to train it, it's like when you train a kid, it's like, or a dog, I'll do it with a dog. because it's even more graphic. You're like, don't shit on the floor. And then it shits on the floor and you're like, fuck. And then you're like this. No. <laughs> so that's how you train AI. It's, it's kind of that stupid, honestly, like, um, it's not at all trivial, but I mean, the data you need is that stupid. By the way, uh, I'll, I'll deviate after. Um, so to train these Alexa or Siri kind of things, well, humans that are super smart need to train the computer. So everything you're saying might be listened by a human. Uh, and guess what? This piece of technology, and I was going to say another curse word, is in your house listening to you all the time. And if that's not bad enough, they're colluding with advertisers because they're the same companies and they're using tones that you can't hear that are playing from your TV and Alexa and these kind of technologies can correlate that you saw an ad on your TV and that you purchased it later. It's completely unethical, disgusting, and a disgrace to humankind what, what these companies are doing right now. That being said... Uh, artificial intelligence is fascinating and if done correctly will change our lives forever so with, with great power comes great responsibility the problem is people are not they don't have the right values and they and if you knew that they could listen to you like if each time like once a day your little speaker says Hey, this is an Amazon employee. By the way, I'm just reminding you that I can hear this shit, you know, like you're having sex. Like that would be fine. <clears throat> and, and to make things worse, Samsung released a TV that had voice control. And guess what? The TV doesn't have a strong enough CPU to do the natural language processing. So it was recording in real time everything you said, sending it to their servers and processing it at their end. So you had a continuous live feed of everything in your living room, everything you were telling your kids, anything sent to that provider. You know, like we have to ask ourselves what's in those technologies. And, and for me, Siri is a huge no-no. Like I have, my, I have an iPhone, but Siri's like totally, it's turned off. And, and I'm like, I'm really thinking about physically removing the mic from my Mac. Like I, I bought the tools and I'm, I have this reflection where I'm scared because it will void my warranty. But at the same time, Google in the Chromium version, so the open source version, they released a patch that allowed the browser to turn on your mic without you knowing, right? And that made, tr it made it way through peer-to-peer -peer review into the Chromium and then into Chrome until security researchers found out and, and it was removed you know so you like you can't even trust your your thing like it's rabbit hole i have to say that uh, i'm i'm really impressed by your uh, ethics by design approach uh congratulations for that um i was wondering in terms of uh, te uh technical skills uh, technology skills uh, skill set uh, what uh, would you say that uh, will be required in this uh, world for developers, this new world uh, for developers? 
you mean for developers to contribute to this space yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or I, it, to, to phrase it in a startup land VC kind of way, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar opportunity. Like humans are more and more becoming aware of this and they want alternatives. Like Firefox is doing a comeback. Like that's kind of cool. Um, so in terms of skill sets, yeah, yeah in, t in terms of skill sets, Uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to need like a few, a few seconds to compute this question and try attempt to answer it. I mean, uh, think about the people that you will hire. Yeah, yeah. Soon. Yeah, I know. But I mean, the binary answer to this, like the instant gut answer to this is like, if you're a developer, you're already on the, on the right path because you understand how to build this stuff. Um, I think for, developers to truly like think about it differently and build the right things you have to understand the ecosystem and why it's wrong right now you know so like you have to know when to say to your boss like no i'm not building this if you're an employee or if you're a founder it's like what are what's the right thing to do um i we just published on the lickstats website so lickstats.com the privacy policy, and I went through great detail in explaining what we're doing to make things right. Mm. So that's a, like, I didn't call it a manifest, but it is. Yes. So by, by following these guidelines, it's a, it's a great start. Um, I, I think most people don't understand the internet, like what it is, I, and a lot of developers don't. So I think understanding the internet is, is a good start. So, like, I'll give you one example. Okay, I'll, I'll troll one last story in this. Who uses Wi-Fi? <laughs> Amazing. Um, who thinks WPA2 in a cafe, like an internet cafe, is any safer than no password at all? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. I, I thought this not too long ago. So, okay, the people who didn't raise their hand, either they're sleeping or they're shy, or they have a reason why it's not safer. So why, why the people who know, why isn't it safer? Okay, nothing is safer. Still have access to the hardware. It, it, I mean, someone that is at Starbucks that isn't physically touching the gear, like the access point. So they're a client on the network, but Starbucks not a good example because they have a captive portal, which <laughs> I could, another rabbit hole. But um, say you're, and I love Notman House, Okay, but say you're at Osmo Cafe. No, not me. Ask no password too. God damn it. Anyways, okay. Say you're in a cafe and there's a freaking WPA2 password, uh, and you think you're safe because conceptually speaking, what this does is it encrypts the traffic between you and the access point. So if you can't tamper with the access point, you would think you're safe. Well, guess what? You know, my Mac, mainstream Mac computer has a thing called promis I can never say this, promiscuous mode in the access point. What it does is it sets the access point chip in a way where it listens to everything going on the network. So then you would say anything that is on a network without a password, you can intercept. Obviously, HTTPS traffic will be immune to this kind of hack mostly. But I really thought that WPA2, and that's what I have at home, I thought like that means nobody can sniff my network. Well, using Wireshark and promiscuous mode and entering the password, Wireshark can live decrypt 
all of the WPA2 traffic. So, you know, so to answer your question, and that's like a very long story, like if you want to contribute, you need to be aware of this because or else like you're going to be using technologies that you think are safe because you were told they're safe and they're not. Thanks for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 